Welcome to the Combustion Chronicles podcast, where bold leaders combine with big ideas to create game-changing disruption. I'm Sean Nason, founder of Man on Fire, and your host for the Combustion Chronicles. Throughout this series, we're bringing together the most unique and influential minds we could find to have honest conversations about not being okay with the status quo, blowing shit up, and working together to influence our shared future. We believe that when bold leaders ignite consumer-centric ideas with passion and grit, the result is an explosion that creates a better world for all of us. I'm here with my co-host, Michael Harper, Chief of Radical Experiences at Mophie. On today's episode, we're speaking with Greg Breinberg, who is the director of the PS22 course of Staten Island. PS22 course was formed in the year 2000 and is an ever-changing group of fifth graders from a public elementary school in Staten Island, New York. PS22 is not a school for the arts, and the course is not a magnet program. PS22 course has been featured on Oprah, Nightline, Good Morning America, The Today Show, Sesame Street, and perhaps most notably, the 2011 Academy Awards. Today, the course's YouTube videos have been watched more than 100 million times. The course has performed for President Obama, Beyonce, Lady Gaga, and many more amazing artists. During COVID-19, the course helped raise over $115 million as part of the Robin Hood hashtag RaiseUpNewYork telethon. Greg, it's great to have you on with us today. An honor. Thank you, gentlemen. It seems you have had the best kind of success. You are doing something that you love and making big impact directly in the lives of young people. What does that all mean to you? Uh, life affirming. <laughs> it was tough for me growing up and my school experience. I always kind of felt left out with my particular skill set. So it was particularly gratifying to walk into a profession where I felt my skill set was the absolute perfect skill set for the job that I had. I always say I never feel like my musicianship was good enough to get me a career as a musician. And I enjoyed teaching, but music is my passion. So it was just great to marry those two passions and and really just find a place for myself in this world, which honestly, like when I was when I was in high school, I couldn't even conceive of where life would take me. And uh, I just serendipitously ended up in the, you know, the best place possible for me. So the lesson learned for me is just, you know, you, you follow your instincts, you follow what you feel is guiding you to your life's path, which for me was my love of music and my love of working with kids. And I just really found the perfect spot for myself. I, even the elementary level, um, I felt was like a great place for me because I had seen, you know, other elementary school choruses and you know usually they're just doing some unison singing and sometimes it's pretty painful at that (laughs) and I just felt like I would like my skills as a musician like my best skills as a musician are harmonizing coming up with you know some good good harmonies so my arranging and my sense of pitch which I think are the two most important skills to have when you're working with an age group like what I'm working with. And so, like I said, my skill set and my lack of any other viable option <laughs> for what I could do with my skill set just led me to the perfect path in life. And it's uh, definitely no regrets. Well, that's fantastic. And the story is absolute fantastic. And of course, the, the stories of the kids, fantastic. But let's get real here. What you <laughs> did arguably is reinvent what music 
education is in some way for that age group. I thank you. I I feel like we did uh, have a hand in reshaping what chorus is, you know, especially in the school setting, you know, you, you really before the PS 22 chorus videos were out there on YouTube, you would see choreograph like choreographed performances, you know, like in the gospel style where they're, you know, dancing in movement. I have no dancing skills whatsoever. And no, like my, my, again, I said, my skill set is limited and perfect for the age group that I work with, but my rhythm is atrocious. <laughs> so it, it was just like, uh, just finding, you know, the right path and, and accessing the right skills that were perfect for this age group. Yeah, just set me flying. I, I don't know why. I don't know even how I found myself in. The, it's like I say, it's a, it's very serendipitous the way I ended up up here. It's just I started just. I was kind of thrown into everything. I was thrown into the education system. I was thrown into being a classroom teacher, which I never planned on doing. I taught like second grade when I first went into education, which scared the bejeebus out of me <laughs> because I, I was, you know, music was. My passion, and I said I, I've, I've worked with kids throughout the years, but exclusively through music, doing private music lessons, and just um, finding that perfect outlet was really just luck. I mean, I had my parents that were teachers, and they thrust me in that direction, and just the perfect skill set for the age group that I work with. Well, and let's let's dig into that. So. We talk a lot in the disruption world about creating your own category. I don't know if you've, you've heard that, that term before, but like Uber is a, the quintessential example of that, right? That before Uber, that industry didn't exist. We use taxi cabs. Uber comes along, they create their own new category. Now that's all we do pretty much. And the rest of the industries had to catch up. I think in some sense, in my, from my perspective, that's what you've done is you've created your own category that others will be following, right? That music doesn't need to be a sit in front of the piano uh, formal singing time. That there are ways to get kids inspired to sing differently. It's about using YouTube in ways that had not been done before. And, you know, it sounds like from what you've said that, that maybe you didn't intend to set up that new category, but I'd love just to help the listeners go there in terms of if they're looking to make an impact like you have and, and however they're going to do it, you know, what are those steps that you think were the critical steps in getting you to this new category? Know thyself, <laughs> know, know what you have to offer and understand the population that you're working with. And like, you know, a lot of people will comment, you know, a lot of the more traditional music people will comment on videos like, how come the kids aren't standing? And how come the kids aren't just sitting up, stomach in, shoulders out? They're not out, breathing you know? correctly. They're not exactly. the basics. You're not teaching them the, the formal skills that we were all taught. Exactly. And this is why I feel like I'm very blessed to work with the level that I work with, because I feel like I have that freedom to introduce them to chorus in a way that's kid friendly in a way that's and to me it's not even like a way that kids should be singing that's what I hated about choir when I was a kid it's just I hated that I always felt like to get your best singing and to access your best sound you really have to connect to the music and not think about anything but but the song and and making sure that you're tapping in completely to the lyric that you're singing or or the pitches that you're singing the rhythms that that make the music come alive and i just you know i didn't feel like it was fair or even appropriate to like i feel like that's 
you know, let them do that if they want to go into like classical singing where you really need to do that. But I'm working at an age where I'm introducing them to that style. So yes, I've had many kids go on to belong to the more traditional choir settings as they move on to, you know, intermediate school or, or high school or, or beyond. But they all come back and say they never loved chorus as much as this when they were in PS22. And yeah. that's gratifying, well, obviously. I, I love that. And I love your whole approach to that. Greg, you know, I was one of those children that was just naturally gifted, could sit down and play the piano, could sight read. And still today at 47 years old, uh, if I post a, a video of me playing the piano, I still get scolded because my positioning's not correct in my fingers. And, uh, <laughs> Glad so, I'm not the only one. <laughs> yeah, you're, not, you're not the only one. Um, and, you know, Michael was digging into this a little bit, and I really want the, the audience to know, but, you know, in 2015, Greg, you were awarded the Tribeca Disruptive Innovation Award. Because the industry recognized what you were doing in public education and, you know, an area that had been disadvantaged. How do you tell someone even more? And this is what Michael and I were just digging in with there. You kind of just took off all the handcuffs and said, I don't care that it's nothing (laughs) traditional, but I'm going to get the passion out of these kids I had an experience that I think was cathartic for me when I, it was my very first year teaching and the intermediate school teacher came to my fifth grade students to audition them for their intermediate school course for the following year. And I had a young man who was very ADHD, the nicest, nicest, sweetest child and a brilliant, beautiful voice pitch perfect. I mean, everything that I would look for in a chorus member. But at that time, when I first started, I, I wasn't doing my approach. I was really doing the, you know, I was doing what I was initially taught, uh, you know, the stomach in, shoulders out, all that, you know, and it, it um, you know, that was my very first year when I had this young man, like I said, and he would just, because of his ADHD, he would constantly be rocking back and forth. And that's all. He just he, he couldn't stand still when he sang the music. And this middle school teacher wouldn't take him into chorus. And I was so angry and so appalled because this kid was so musical. And this was like, you know, a kid who was struggling in other areas. And this was his outlet. This was his thing. This is what he excelled at. And everything that I, you know, had ever been taught when I was learning how to be an educator is you capitalize on the kids' skills and you you meet them where, where they're prepared to meet you. And uh, it was so upsetting to me that this kid just, and I asked her, what about this young man? And she said, I couldn't handle that, that the rocking back and forth. And right from that minute on, I was like, you know what? I'm done. I'm done with this whole standing with the hands at the sides. I want these kids to just enjoy the music and have some fun. And over the, you know, it started off. And if you watch like older chorus videos that I've posted from like 2000 or 2001, when we were first, you know, getting our show on the road, you know, you see the kids are definitely not giving the same types of performances. Musically, you know, they definitely sounded superior to other elementary school choruses at the time they were harmonizing and doing things that you didn't see elementary school choruses doing. But they didn't, you know, they didn't really have the face of what the PS22 chorus is now, you know, recognized as. So yeah, that kind of 
pointed me in the direction of saying, hey, you know what? Trust your own instincts. You're getting a sound out of them that you know is, is superior to what you've heard from other kids before and let them enjoy it. Why do I, well, you know, why do I have to force them, especially for, you know, if we're meeting for 45 minutes, sometimes, you know, an hour and a half practices, you know, it's just, it's just so uncomfortable for them. And as soon as I allowed them to just have the freedom to just get lost and enjoy the performance and love the music and find some, find the feeling in it and just do it your own way. All of a sudden it was just like, wow, this is a whole nother level of performance that they're giving, even in their sound. I mean, they, they, they're, when you're feeling a song, you, you, you sing it better. It's really important to, especially when you're introducing, you know, a choir setting to, to kids who have never been involved in that, to meet them at their level and make it something fun for them. You know, there'll be time later if they want to get into some more serious singing. The appropriate thing I think to do as a teacher is to take it down to their level. And that's not to say to underestimate them. I think that's, you know, another thing that's kind of contributed to our success is that I try to challenge them, uh, not only musically, but even emotionally with the song selections that we do. Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. And for me, there's so many takeaway nuggets that are transferable to any industry. Putting the people first, harnessing their passion, meeting them where they are. We talk about that all the time as disruptors of, of meeting people where they are, throwing out that challenge for growth and, and letting, them be, letting them be a part of that challenge journey. Those are huge. But I think even the biggest one for me is letting things evolve over time. It's so hard at the beginning to say, this is going to be huge. You know, we're going to I'm going to start this and we're going to perform for famous pop stars and presidents. It doesn't work that way, right? It's about time and evolving and paying attention to, to each little step along the way and enjoying the journey, right? I mean, if they're not loving it, then I'm doing something wrong. I've seen chorus members from like, you know, the early years, like the 2000s and saying like, you know, like, wow, man, you were tough. But, you know, and they come back and they tell me they appreciate how tough I was. But I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe I was like that mean back then. <laughs> but it's a journey. But you got, yeah. yeah, it is a journey. And, you know, and it's like, you know, and also it was when you start picking up a following or, or just some, you know, you're getting attention that you never got before. And you want to keep this going because you want to give, you know, year by year, you want to provide, you want to have the opportunity to give these kids these life-changing experiences that we've been lucky enough to be privy to. And I say, you know, I say lucky, but I, I don't want to discount the kids' hard work and, and all of our hard work to make this happen. But of course, there's luck involved in, in anyone getting successful, and um, I'm grateful for all the all the things that came together to to make this chorus something that's been disruptive, as you say, and something that's been inspiring to more people than I could have ever imagined. So let's jump in, Greg, to 2008 when Prez Hilton linked a video of the Flying Dutchman, and it immediately went viral. Can you? Take us back to that moment as a teacher, as a human, what it felt like when that all happened and the doors really opened for you at that point in 2008. At the beginning, when I first started posting videos, and it really, again, everything is so 
serendipitous, not to overuse the word, but it really was. Um, it's the only word. <laughs> I'm a huge Tori Amos fan. So I started just by posting like the Tori Amos covers that we'd done because I was like in some Tori Amos chat rooms and we were talking about it. And I, and I was telling you know people how I had the kids sing Tori songs. And I even went to like a Tori Amos, uh, like a, a conversation event that she did and got to tell her that my chorus sang it. And it was like a moment, you know, it was a moment at the event. Anyway, uh, so when I first started posting the videos, they were pretty much exclusively Tori Amos videos at the beginning. And her management got wind of what we were doing through a Tori Amos fan site. And um, they contacted me and said, we'd like to set up a meeting with, with your chorus and Tori. And I flipped. It's funny because we've sung with so many celebrities over the years. The very first big celebrity we got was my all-time favorite. So of course, when you watch those videos, as I'm sure uh, some people might want to be inspired to do, because it really is, it's a moment. You'll, you'll see me being total, oh my God, I was just total fanboying. And like, I was just such a, such a happy idiot that day. And uh, that was what led to Perez Hilton finding, because Perez Hilton also is a huge Tori Amos fan. So that's how Perez Hilton found us through that video when Tori Amos actually was serenaded by my chorus. And once that video was posted, then Perez started posting other videos. I think Flying Dutchman was the next one he posted after that. And then he just, uh, you know, started following the kids and was, you know, posting many, many performances that we never necessarily expected him to post. Eye of the Tiger, which we, which we posted, which was like, I think our, our first, you know, getting really big in terms of viral, you know, we, like the Tori Amos video when it started got like 200,000 views. But the the uh, Eye of the Tiger video, I think that one got up to a million quickly. And then right at the same time, Coldplay had posted a cover of Viva La Vida at the same time that Perez posted Eye of the Tiger in 2009. And that's when things really exploded. And we got like amazing offers. We got to go to, you know, the kids got to sing at the Capitol for the, for the Congress. They were, you know, covered by the Associated Press. And it was just it, all of a sudden, just it became a whirlwind of events that the kids were being asked to perform at. And so 2009 is when really like the chorus took off and it's just an amazing ride we've been on since then. It's, it's amazing, you know, but really it was, it was, uh, the Tori Amos and the Tori Amos meeting and the Perez Hilton, um, boost that he gave us that really set, set the, uh, worldwide, wide acclaim that the kids have gotten into the, into the stratosphere. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so, you know, Greg, we work in the business world you're working in, you know, public education with fifth graders, but I can tell you there's a lot of similarities in what we do. So how has the success of PS22 changed the limits of what you think is possible personally? And what advice would you give when it comes to believing and leaning into this? Wow. Like, uh, I think, like I said before, I think the most important thing is knowing yourself, knowing what you have to offer. I think sometimes people go into to a profession because they just really need to make money. And especially now with everything that's going on, and it's unfortunately going to be a lot more of that. And I don't know how easy it's going to be to, to find their niche. And quite honestly, I mean, this is an awkward time for me to, to be giving advice because I, I'm a little lost at the moment. It's been a really rough transition to this remote education that we've been going through. What my advice 
I guess uh, work with your circumstances, <laughs> work with your skill set, and um, know the population that you're working with, and um, try to find your own way of doing it. Keeping in mind also, and again, this goes with keeping in mind your population, knowing when to ease off and knowing when, hey, you know, it's like, I think the most important lesson you learn as a teacher is the way you make your students feel <laughs> is how you're going to get the best results out of them and how you're going to make a lasting impact on their lives. So my, my goal, and certainly especially like the last five years as I've you know, acclimated to the fame that the kids have you know, acquired over the years, like there were a couple of years that I was so dedicated to just keeping the keeping it going, keeping this fame train going for the kids just to give them the opportunities. And I just realized, you know what, I'm not enjoying this as much because I'm I'm not as focused on what really matters. And right. yeah, don't you, get you gotta, you gotta stay focused on those core principles that exactly. evolve over time, but yep. they're there. Exactly. And that evolution over time is key too. It's like, you know, I was a definite, I was definitely a different music teacher when I first started. And I'm sure I would have given myself a good talking to, you know, back then and said, ease up, buddy, ease up. You know, I got good sound out of them, but I didn't get the kind of performance that I would get out of these kids because as you say, over the years, you refine your skills and, and you refine your technique and you, you learn what, what's really important, you know? And I, I, I think I, I needed a little reality check at some point and just okay. realize that, you know, it's not, you know, and we, and I, I've always tried to make this point to the kids. And I know that I've, I feel like I've, I've successfully made this point with the kids because even at the end of the year, sometimes we'd film videos, like what's the most important experience that you've gotten out of chorus. And very rarely do you hear them say something like, Oh, getting to sing at the Oscars or getting to sing at the, they really say just making the music in the auditorium. And they talk about the lessons that they learn. And that's, as such a gratifying thing as well, you know, that the fact that they have this notoriety online, but yet they live, they live very down to earth lives. And, right. you know, that also comes from the fact that they are, you know, they're modest children, they're humble children, they don't come from, um, from wealth and, you know, and, and they don't have, um, they don't have sometimes even the most basic of tools to succeed, which is, you know, so sad now, especially, and we're realizing it now as as we uh, try to venture into remote education. We're seeing it's there's such a disparity in what the kids are are really able to do, and not because of their ability, but because of just their circumstances. And you know, and that's another important thing to keep in mind. It's you know to balance your your desire to succeed, and this is really important to me as an elementary school music teacher certainly as an elementary school teacher that's gotten, you know, this online following, it's not to work for the following, it's to work for the kids. And then once I think I got my head a little more straight with that, I got, I think, much better results. I've been enjoying my time with the kids so much more. I mean, these past two years, I wouldn't say they're the most um, prolific with regards to, you know, the widest amount of of views or, or attention that the chorus has gotten, but it's been the most enjoyable two years maybe of my career. I mean, aside from the Oscars year, which was pretty amazing. <laughs> In the business world though, that when businesses lose sight of their people, when they forget about what's important, when they forget about their mission, that's where they go wrong. So I, again, all of this is so transferable to any industry or organization, but let's crank up the heat here because <laughs> this could not have been 
an easy journey the whole time, right? And there are plenty of talented music directors out there, plenty of choir directors out there. I'm one of them. Oh, wow. Working with young people. And, you know, I enjoyed it, did my thing, but it's not an easy road all the time. So what are those obstacles that you came up against and how did you climb those walls? Honestly, the biggest obstacles for me were just kind of trying to trying to innovate the education system in terms of incorporating YouTube. When we went on YouTube, there was no other, there were no other public schools on YouTube, or at least no public school performances that were being shared by the public school itself. So we ran into a lot of red tape. I mean, with the, you know, the bureaucracy of the Department of Education. And honestly, they've gotten a lot better with time too. I think it was old school management when I first came into the, you know, into the profession. And Internet was a brand new, uh, a brand new entity. So it was like they they were very, very afraid, and you know, and obviously, justifiably so. And I presented them, you know, what I felt was a safe way to get this started. And uh, there were times uh, throughout the right about the time when when the Eye of the Tiger and uh, the Viva La Vido Coldplay video were were getting some massive attention. Right at that time, I think as soon as it started to blow up, the DOE was getting scared, and they, you know, they told they contacted my principal and they said he's going to have to take this down. And I was freaking out because, you know, my God, all the work that I did to try to get these kids opportunities is now being like, right when it's like actually coming to fruition, you're going to make me take this down. And so as I'm sorry to say this, I I messed up. This is right before Perez Hilton posted the Eye of the Tiger video. So as I'm being told to take everything down, and like I say, things are heating up, but not at the point of real where, like, where we're about to blow up online. I'm being told to take everything offline. So my principal, you know, who's very supportive of my program, and she's, you know, she, it was not her, her idea to take this down, but she said, Greg, we got to do it. Just take it down. She's like, you know, take it down and, and we'll, you know, we'll work on that and we'll get everything, you know, we'll try to get this sorted. So I slowly took stuff down, you know, the videos I didn't care about. <laughs> you got to play a little bit with the rules sometimes. So it was scary because I was so excited for these kids. It was like something so wonderful. And all, and all the online feedback had been everything. Everything was positive. So right as I'm being told to take stuff down, I would take like two videos down and maybe put up something, put one up, you know, and hope it wouldn't be noticed. Like as, as the, the number of videos are going down, I figured, uh, so I put stuff up that was kind of like benign. So I figured I'll put up Eye of the Tiger because, you know, that's from the 1980s. No one's going to care about that song. Well, lo and behold, as I told you before, Perez Hilton posts that video. It blows up. And right from there, you know, like I said, then the Coldplay the cold fan site posted that on their newsletter, which went out and it, and it blew up. I, it, that's when the Associated Press came on board. That's when Stevie Nicks invited us to Madison Square Garden to sing for it. It was just all this amazing stuff started happening. And as soon as like the Associated Press came out, there was an, also an article in New York Magazine that was all like amazing. All of a sudden, it was fine. And we could post. So I was like kind of freaking out though, because all of a sudden we're going viral right as we're being asked to take it down. And then all of a sudden, 
as I said, as all the amazingly positive feedback came back from major uh, with Nightline, Nightline did a, a piece on the chorus that was you know well received, and I think all of that was just like, okay, this is fine, let it go. You got to take a chance sometimes, and you got to you know you got to bend the rules a little bit, you know, as you know, as, as long as you're working in what you really truly feel are the kids' best interest. I felt like I'm gonna do what I feel is right and apologize later. Unfortunately, I didn't even have to apologize. <laughs> that that's funny, Greg. In another part of our ecosystem in our consulting group, Mofi, we actually teach this mindset around the big three, and it's a do no harm, break rules but not laws, and pursue mm-hmm. the apprehended. And it sounds like you just kept doing all three of those, and look what happened. And that's that's the mindset we try to teach disruptors. So that's awesome. So I think. Are- it- I think it does. I think everything that I that I have, you know, learned and acquired throughout the years, it's all transferable. It's all transferable. It's like I I, I have given um, like lectures at 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 PwC. I gave a lecture. You know, they they wanted to talk to me specifically. I think uh, along the same deal about just the disruptiveness of the program and wanted to, I guess, you know, inspire their they're business people with what we did. So that's, that's so incredibly rewarding. Not only are we inspiring, you know, the music people and the, and the, and the education people were also inspiring. Everybody really can find some inspiration in it. And that is the beauty. Yeah. So we have um, come to this point now, uh, great conversation. We could probably go on forever with all of us. <laughs> I'm sure. Music geeks sitting here. But we have this section uh, when we close out the Combustion Chronicles called the Combustion Questions. And so we use this amazing algorithm to pull these questions. And that algorithm is known as the Harper Brain over here. But uh, Michael, let's turn it over to you. Absolutely. So Greg, right. are you ready for your combustion questions? All right. The brain, it doesn't function too well in the morning. I'll try to be as quick as I can. <laughs> we'll make it. We'll have some fun. All right. So All right. Question number one. If you could make a 20-minute phone call to yourself at any point in your life, present or future, when would you call yourself and what would you say? 20 minutes, anytime, either present or future, you could call yourself. What would you say? Who would you call? What time? If I would call myself, I would call myself. My junior year of high school was probably the most difficult year of my life. And I'd call myself and say, don't worry, you're going to find your way. You're going to find your way and it's going to and it's going to bring you a lot of satisfaction in life that and I know you don't see a path right now, but your path will come to you and give it time. You could call me a junior year in high school as well. I'd appreciate that. <laughs> you got it. We'll make Number it a group two. call. Question number 2, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? Oh wow, that's tough. Uh it depends on the on the day, but uh I'm a, I'm a strawberry guy. Yes. Right up my alley there. All right. (laughs) All right. Question number three. What do you think about shoelaces? I honestly just took the shoelaces off my my comfy pair of sneakers. So that, yeah, there's my answer. (laughs) (laughs) Avoid whenever possible. Get rid of them. Get rid of them. Love it. Yeah. Well, Greg, thank you so much for being with us. This is awesome. Can't wait to uh, hear what the next big PS22 video is going to be and appreciate your passion uh, for 
our kids raising leaders in America. So thank you again, and um, you have a great day. Thank you. I appreciated your questions, and uh, nice talking to you guys. Always good to talk to fellow musicians and just fellow, uh, fellow good humans. So thank right. you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Combustion Chronicles. None of this would be possible without you, the listener. If you'd like to keep the conversation going, look us up at Man on Fire Social on Instagram and Facebook, or find us on YouTube at the Combustion Chronicles. Give us a shout and join our disruption movement. And check out this episode's downloadable recap page at manonfire.co. We know you lead a busy life, so if you're driving, exercising, or maybe you're just blowing your own shit up, don't worry. We've already taken the notes for you. Each recap is filled with guest information, episode themes, quotes, resources, and more. And remember, please subscribe, rate, and review if you like what we are doing. And if you don't, do it anyways. Stay safe and be well.